a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a very interesting show, an impactful one in many ways, because we're talking about today one of the most difficult subjects, which has to do with our food, has to do with our food chain, our food supply in this country and actually across the world. We're going to be focusing on United States today in general, but it is an issue dealing with pesticides, dealing with the definition of organic, dealing with all of the problems with the way the system of food growing and delivery to our table works. Or some could say doesn't really work much at all because we're in fact eating a whole lot of chemicals, pesticides, insecticides, herbicides in already depleted soil, which has been depleted according to the USDA here in the United States since about 1933 or so. So you're getting a sense of the scope and the magnitude of this problem. In order to deconstruct some of the issues and to take a serious, good, long look at the quality of our food and the issues around all that I'm speaking about, I have invited the Associate Director of the Organic Consumers Association, Catherine Paul. And Catherine is uh, working very closely with the political director of this association, and this association is doing much to help educate the public here in the United States and elsewhere about the issues that I have just described and also the issues that continue to arise regarding our food supply and its, its value and is it nutritious, is it not, and all of the issues surrounding this because they are multitudinous, to put it mildly. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you all to Catherine and learn from her as the Associate Director of the Organic Consumers Association just what is going on. Catherine, welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Thank you, Mitchell. So it's my pleasure to be here. Very good. Thanks. So tell us, when you look out at the landscape, so to speak, of what's happening in, as I was describing it, um, what we're dealing with with food in this country that has become, well, like a lot of the news, fake news, fake food, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of it really is fake, uh, but getting back to being au natural, Catherine, what is it that consumers need to know, and what are you putting out as a, a consumer advocacy group, essentially, um, out to the public for us to know? 
Well, um, thank you for asking that. And it's a big question. It's a big issue. Um, and and the, and the scope of it, I think, is is daunting sometimes when you when you look at food production holistically, because we really can't look at food production without talking about environmental issues, animal welfare issues, economic justice issues, fair labor practices. I mean, this yeah. is a food production touches everything in our lives. So, so for our organization has always um, actually taken a, a holistic um, approach to consumer advocacy. And by that, I mean we, we have always tried to encourage consumers and policymakers who, who will listen to connect the dots between all of these issues and, and to really look at how we're producing food, what works, what doesn't, why it doesn't work, and how we can improve it. So it's a lot of consumer education. We also uh, work on policy issues, uh, marketplace campaigns, getting consumers to pressure corporations. And, and on the other side of that, we, we are really excited about working to educate around, to educate in, around in advance um, an alternative to our current food production system, which isn't working. And what would those look like, alternatives? Um, alternatives are, are producing food in, in concert with nature as opposed to trying to overcome or outsmart nature, which at the end of the day, we really can't do. So we have been working really closely with an organization um, that OCA was a founding member of, along with many other organizations, called Regeneration International. Mm-hmm. And um, through our collaboration with Regeneration International, we are we are working to educate consumers about regenerative agriculture. And more importantly, we're working to try to build the infrastructure and influence policy so that this model can, in fact, work economically for farmers as well as consumers and eventually replace the industrial model. It, mm. And and so I'll, I'll just, um, and I'll, I'll let you ask the next question in a minute, but we've, we've been focusing on, and we think this is really critical, we've been focusing on the Midwest regions of the U.S. That's really the breadbasket of America, and it's where most of the farmland is. It's also where a lot of the environmental damage is happening um, related to agriculture and rural communities are in trouble because this industrial model of course profits more the the handful of corporations that dominate it than it than it does the actual farmers 
and and the local economies. So we've been working um, with groups to build out something called Regeneration Midwest here in the U.S., and and we're really excited about right now. Well, it sounds excellent. I it reminds me of the idea of whatever is old is new again, because prior, of course, to industrialized big ag, what the the United States and the Midwest in particular was completely uh, peppered with, if you will, is the ma and pa farms. Everything was a ma and pa farm. There was no such thing as industrialized agriculture until I don't know when it actually began, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say probably around the 1930s, 40s, it began to get a toehold. Um, as far as I know, I'd, I'd like to be corrected if that's mistaken. But needless to say. Whenever it began, it has now completely overwhelmed the entire nation, and the Ma and Pa farms are being and have been getting driven out of business for decades now. They simply cannot afford to uh, stay in business, and it's just one of the crying shames of our nation, and our government has done so little to help them at a time of complete dire need and have, in their way, subsidized the industrial agriculture business in so many different ways, direct and indirectly. And we're all paying the price for it with monocropping, pesticides, Monsanto's Roundup everywhere, rounding us all up. I guess I never thought of it that way, but in a way we're <laughs> being rounded up by their by their uh, poisons. Um, so... In that light, in the light of the fact that we have all been uh, able originally to have farms that were pesticide-free by and large, what then is new and distinct about regenerative farming? Well, uh, I, I do want to comment on the fact uh, that you hit the nail on the head and in the sense that this industrial agriculture model that the industry wants us to believe is both absolutely necessary for feeding the world and the only economically viable model exists by and large because taxpayers are supporting it through subsidies. Um, It's propped up artificially. It, It puts out cheap food that isn't really cheap if you factor in, in the subsidies. And it's not really food either. <laughs> and it's, it's, not, not, it's not really cheap and it's not really food. What is it? <laughs> Excuse me. Exactly. What it is, is, is it's a great scam. <laughs> yes. It's really a, a, great, a great scam engineered by, you know, some corporations. So the alternative, yes. um, how do you, how do you replace that model when you have a playing field that's not level? If, if the government's going to continue to subsidize that model, how, how does a, a regenerative slash organic model compete? Um, and, and, and we believe that's going to happen. We believe it's going to happen largely because consumers are going to demand it because cities who are tired of paying to clean up their water are going to demand it. 
Um, runoff. Mm-hmm. The runoff is, is, I mean, cities are just at their wit's end um, mm-hmm. having to clean up after this big agriculture industry. So, um, well, what's an example of that, by the way? Are you talking about like, I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I'd love to, is there an example, for instance, Catherine, of, of a city in the Midwest, so in Ohio or Illinois, like Chicago, that they are actually subject to the runoff on a massive scale that they, the, the municipality then has to clean up in order to make the water potable? Is that what you're suggesting? I, I yes, exactly. So mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, Des Moines, the city of Des Moines, Iowa, sued the counties upstream um, because of all the nitrate pollution in the city's water that the oh. city had to pay to clean up. And and yeah. that's just one example. It happens around the country, although there is now, believe it or not, a bill before the House that would strip citizens of the right to sue the agriculture industry, any agricultural-related company, for polluting its water. So there's going to be an attempt <laughs> to take away that right. But in I Vermont, just stopped breathing. We, How... Who brought yeah. that bill up to the floor? <laughs> you know, I, I um, give me a, a minute here, and I'll try to pull it up. Okay, and, you know, fine. who knows where the where the bill will go? Where's my um, voodoo doll when I need it? You know, um, exactly. Just but, frightening. Yeah. Who I mean, cares about the Constitution and and the rights of of citizens anyway? Right. Exactly. And Vermont is having a similar problem. Vermont, I mean, everybody likes to think of Vermont as this pristine landscape, but it's dominated by an industrial dairy, factory farm dairy system. And uh, the taxpayers there are stuck with a big cleanup. Their water is terribly polluted in Vermont. Their lakes, uh, it's ruined tourism. And again, this is largely largely because of the industrial dairy system. So you asked me about regenerative agriculture, and it's really yeah. it's really using, it's working with nature. And it's interesting that we're coming up tomorrow on World Water Day, and mm-hmm. uh, that's the United Nations annual sort of declaration. And this year they're focusing on what they call nature-based solutions. Mm. How... Biomimicry. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. it. So mm-hmm. it, it's using nature, working with nature to restore soil health, which restores, um, makes plants more resilient to drought and climate change and all of those issues, more resilient when it comes to pests. It's, 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 Regeneration, when you think of the word, I mean, you're you're actually, when it's farming and leaving the soil in actually better condition than when you found it. Uh-huh. Mm, we've re- we've come to rely on these chemical inputs. They're expensive for farmers to use, um, but this is how Monsanto and Dow and the others profit. It's by selling the weed killers. It's by selling you seeds that 
you know, are are supposed to grow plants that are resistant to Roundup, so you will buy their Roundup. I mean, they yeah. have so vertically integrated everything um, in a fashion so as to put them in a position of controlling everything that goes in and out of a farm and and funneling actually all the profits to the top, to the corporate level. They don't even go to the farmers in most instances, except for a handful. There's a small percentage of really um, profitable farms in this country, but they're all large, by and large growing GMO monocrops. Yes. Now, are you aware of uh, the film called Symphony of the Soil by Deborah Coons Garcia, the uh, last wife of the Grateful Dead musician Jerry Garcia? Um, yes, I, I haven't seen it in in a while, but I do remember that we promoted it when it first came out. Yes. It's a great film. Okay. I'm mentioning it, yes, because it's a, an outstanding film on the subject of regenerative soil, basically, soil generation. And farming, of course, proceeds from that. And we've had Deborah on the show uh, once or twice, and um, we were definitely promoting that film as well because it takes uh, it goes a far way in educating people about what we can do to take care of our soil, which of course, needless to say, is the basis of healthy food, of nutrition-rich, nutrition-dense food, and without which, you know, we've got nothing, and of course, our soil has been stripped. I'm also thinking about, as I'm listening to you speak, Catherine, of Rudolf Steiner's biodynamic farming, who was bringing in, talking about holistic, he was bringing in even the stars and celestial you know, uh, creatures into uh, understanding how to develop healthy seeds, healthy soil, and therefore healthy plants back in the 1920s. So I don't yep. know if that has anything to do with it, and, but it's another interesting healthy, line of thought. Exactly, and healthy people, because we've learned, and, and this is, I think, yes. you know, fairly recently with scientists have discovered the the rich life that actually goes on in healthy soil, how it's so yes. full of bacteria and, and microbial activity. Worms and, um, and microbes, yeah. 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 And we also and, know and that now... Relationship, yes, yes, please. Be, between that and the human yes. um, body. And, and so if you're... And the microbiome as well, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's an exquisite exactly. relationship. It's it's in a sense it's a symbiotic relationship between a human, you know, children playing, this is what they've discovered um in studies that children playing in the dirt and getting all messy and uh, and some of the dirt, you know, on their skin and and in their mouth, you know, and throwing dirt at each other and hanging out with the uh, farm animals ultimately strengthens the immune system in a way by bringing in that bacteria and allowing the immune system to have to react to it and build its own resiliency becomes a major factor in health for the life of the person. 
later on. And without that kind Absolutely. of dirty interaction, if you will, those kids actually, kids are growing up just with cement surroundings, don't get that strength of their immune system. Right? Exactly. And and it only makes sense. You know, I'm not a scientist, and I, I always put that out there. Um, but, but whenever I... If, there's a book out called The Dirt Cure, actually. It talks about if you want to get healthy, look at the soil that your food uh-huh. is grown in, right? Um, yes, yes. But right. That's great. It, it seems, as a, not, as a person with not a background in science, it it is so intuitively, it just intuitively makes sense. Yes, when it you does. realize that we are... <laughs> Human beings are part of an ecosystem. We're, we're not separate from the environment. That's right. We, we evolved with the soil, with the plants, with the sun, with the water. And to think that we could isolate ourselves somehow from the rest of our own ecosystem and still be healthy, um, when you think about it, doesn't make sense. Now, playing in the dirt is great um, as long as you haven't completely polluted that dirt. As long as it's not, you know, you haven't sprayed your playground with Roundup um, or you you aren't farming with atrazine and 2,4-D and all of these other chemicals, then, yeah, you sure don't (laughs) want to send your kid out to play in the dirt, right? That's right. Um, That's right. Do you have ways using regenerative farming to repel insects and other little creatures that would be known to eat the plants before humans do? What are your ways? I mean, I know there are uh, companion plants, for instance, that are known for generations that can be used, like marigolds and others, uh, depending on what the vegetable may be, or fruit for that matter. Um, Is that a part, that lore part of uh, regenerative farming? I I believe it is. Again, you know, unfortunately I'm not a farmer, um, but but it absolutely is. Would be. I mean, when you go back to monocropping, monocropping is not growing acres and acres and acres of GMO corn is not natural. It's not how how we used to farm. Even if it weren't GMO, it would be food. unnatural. Yeah. Right. Even if it weren't GMO, it is completely contrary, 100% to nature's bountiful diversity and the way nature operates, which is always adapting because of its variety and diversity. This is the opposite story. Exactly. Right? And you And you have to think about immune systems plants have immune systems and if you're growing plants in unhealthy soil you you're growing weak plants and they're more susceptible to disease they're more susceptible to pests so it it all comes back to or at least a big part of it comes back to the health of the soil and, and yeah. how are you keeping your soil healthy, not with artificial synthetic fertilizers or pesticides, 
which strip the soil, which kill all of that life in the soil. Um, But if you're actually farming in such a way that you are contributing to the health of the soil, building it up with organic matter, um, then you're growing plants that are stronger. They have better immune systems. They're more resistant to anything that comes along. And then it's biodiversity. Yeah. I mean, that's why monocropping is so so wrong. Plants oh, interact. Yeah. Pests, you they know, they to. interact with their entire environment. And and so if you want, if if you if you have a complete ecosystem there. Um, a biodiverse ecosystem as nature intended, that's how nature, that's how pests and diseases were naturally controlled. It's when they get out of sync. It's when things get out of balance. It's when things get unhealthy that um, things start to fall apart. Hence the power of permaculture as an example, which is all about also... You use the re- word regenerative, which I think is fantastic, but this is, in a sense, restorative. It's bringing back the fullness and richness of the ecosystem. So each plant uh, both takes different types of nutrients from the soil and also gives back others, so there's a complementariness underneath the ground of the plants helping each other, if you will, because their exchange of gases and exchange of nutrients based on the differences of what each one needs helps in itself to nourish the soil. So it's a give and a take. It's an exchange. Not It's not a one-way street. I wanted to ask you, Catherine, about something I brought up at the beginning of the show, which is this idea of organic and what has happened to that word as it has become more and more popular. And now, you know, a good thing on one hand is happening that your standard supermarket, which eschewed the idea of organic just about 20 years ago, maybe maybe 10. Um, now there are organic uh, sections in Wallbaums and every single type of supermarket, no matter how otherwise conventional, across the country. So on one hand, this is a very good thing that organic has become very, very popularized, but there's a price that's been paid for it, and I wish you would talk about that regarding the definition of organic and what it is originally and what it has become. Is organic, sure. in other words, really organic? Um, sometimes would be my answer <laughs> to uh-huh. that. Um, and and here's the thing: it's it's like it's like everything else when you get money influencing policy. Um, there, there's an attempt to corrupt, and and so industry seeing that consumers are interested, seeing the market potential of organic, seeing that consumers are starting to connect the dots between those pesticides and that crap on their food and their own health, and starting to choose to buy organic then those big corporations uh, that want a piece of that market step in and think, well, how can, how can we get in here? And one way we can get in here is 
we can start to chip away at these standards or cut corners in some way. Um, and and so there's you know there's that attempt and there there has been some successes in eroding those standards and then hence eroding consumer confidence in the standards. Consumers can still be confident that by and large organic means your food wasn't grown with pesticides and all of these uh, other contaminants. Um, And that's still the standard, but there's growing concern that we have to protect those standards, defend them, strengthen them, police them, um, and then urge consumers to to look for food producers who go even beyond those organic standards um, to standards that are truly what we're calling regenerative. So yes. it's a tricky I thing. heard, uh, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the uh, USDA uh, definition of organic, and they have their own certification, as you know, uh, allows for up to 40 different pesticides in what would be an organic vegetable to be on the fruit, on the vegetable, and in the soil. And when it goes beyond 40, it's no longer called organic. But even what we call organic may be subjected to some 40 different pesticides. Are you aware of that? And if so, is that accurate or is it off? Um, it, it sounds off to me, but I, I can't um, confirm one way or the other. I cannot confirm or deny. Don't start sounding like that's, Jeff that's Sessions, exactly please. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering, you know, there is a, there is a list of yes. approved, allowed, um, synthetic ingredients in organics. Now, mm-hmm. very few of those are actually pesticides. There are, there are other types of synthetic ingredients. And one of our missions at OCA has always been to get that list down. It's, it was supposed to exist for in, in cases where there was no non-synthetic um, alternative available, but with the mm-hmm. understanding that that it would, you know, that that would go off of the list within a couple of years, and so we mm-hmm. worked very hard to police that list. Um, Excellent. But but the list is not it. It consists of a lot of synthetic ingredients but not the point is that there's a list and what you and I might want to define and really would define as organic meaning organic meaning au natural meaning free of anything man made uh, is actually just not the standing definition whether it's 40 or 30 or 20 or whatever the point is that there are synthetics allowed inside a certification process called organic. So, uh, yeah, there, well, thank and, you for that. That's, that's true. But, yes. But there's certainly, 
if your choice is between or certified organic and not certified organic, you're still drastically reducing your exposure to things like GMOs, which are absolutely forbidden in organic. Carcinogens like galore. Exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you, in our closing minutes, uh, what is the Organic Consumers Association primarily focused on, and how can people get involved? People who may say, I want to help this cause. I care about the quality of the food I put in my own mouth and in my family's mouth, and I want to be proactive in dealing with the situation. First of all, what, so what is your focus these days? Days is to continue to educate consumers, of course, and, and so our website, our newsletter, our, um, the action alerts we put out and so forth um, are designed to educate consumers about what's going on, what's in their food, um, to educate consumers about industrial food production versus the alternatives. And also, we, we try to engage consumers in marketplace campaigns. Uh, we're very focused on Ben & Jerry's right now, which does a great job of scamming consumers into thinking the company cares deeply about the environment when it's the biggest polluter in Vermont. Ooh. Oh, um, really? Oh, they are, are, no. they, are, are they the dairy farm that you were referring to before? Ben & Jerry's sources... Uh, the bulk of its dairy from dairies in Vermont, and those dairies are not organic. They they rely on 94,000 acres of GMO corn grown for dairy feed. Um, so much of the pollution in Vermont is directly related to the dairy industry. And so we have been pressuring Ben and Jerry's to convert to organic um, so that there is no more GMO corn grown in Vermont. <laughs> so that's, mm. that's an example of a consumer campaign. We've also been involved yeah. in a number Excellent. of lawsuits. You would think that Ben and Jerry, before they sold the company, would have made that a contingency on the sale, that it would require the that the sources be organic. You know, it's interesting when Ben and Jerry's first founded that company, and there's a quote somebody dug up from, I believe it was Jerry himself, from back in the day before Ben and Jerry's was sold to Unilever, um, mm -hmm. where they said they simply were not, they it just wasn't going to go organic because it would hurt their profits. So oh. as a result of not sourcing nice. organic um, they support the growing of 94,000 acres of GMO corn in Vermont. Oh, God. They um, were big shots so, in the uh, social venture network uh, way back at the beginning. So it's a little yeah. disturbing to hear this, of course, not to mention the ice cream tastes so darn good. <laughs> but now it's not going <laughs> to taste very good at all after you've told me everything like this. <laughs> yeah, well, sort of left a bad taste in our mouth, that's for sure. Yeah, my God. <laughs> so it's a campaign, and yes. we'd love people to sign up for our newsletter because we do put out action alerts where we we 
you know, we reach out to members of Congress. We ask people to call their Congress members. We're working yeah. right now to help promote what's called the Food and Farm Act. This is mm-hmm. the year when we're going to start, you know, rewriting the farm bill. And mm-hmm. uh, Representative Blumenauer from Oregon has introduced something called the Food and Farm Act that we wholeheartedly support. And so we urge, if you want to get involved, um, sign up, get our action alerts so you can, you know, contact your members of Congress, let them know that you support this type of agriculture, you know, and you don't support these subsidies for industrial agriculture. Because um, politicians need to hear from their constituents that they care about these issues. Companies need to hear from consumers that consumers aren't happy with their practices. So yeah. um, we we love to have more people engage in those types of campaigns and um, activities directed at at politicians. Yes, wonderful. Wonderful. Why don't you give the website so people can go and uh, sign up for your newsletter and your action alerts? I think it's just wonderful. Sure. It's just organicconsumers.org. And you can also, if you want, uh, if you're more into your phone than your computer these days, you can (laughs) text 97779. Text the word BITES, B-Y-T-E-S, to 9779, and that will sign you up for our newsletter as well. 9779, 97779, and then BITES. Correct. Okay, that's cute. Okay, good. Well, wonderful, Catherine. I so appreciate all of your input today and educating our listeners about this. And, you know, we've got listeners in Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and everything – these basic ideas actually are worldwide because Monsanto is an international corporation, and it's not just Monsanto, but it's largely Monsanto that has been involved in these pollution practices, and everybody needs to know the world has become a global village, and we really need to uh, kind of hold each other's hands when it comes to marshalling the Uh, the efforts of these multinational corporations to control our food supply and our seed supply. So, look, I very much appreciate what you and Alexis and others are doing at uh, Organic Consumers Association. I've been, uh, you know, receiving your emails and alerts for a long time, and I, I think it's great. So please keep up the good work. Well, thank you, and thank you for, you know, the opportunity and for bringing people on your show to talk about these issues. And, you know, speaking of international, uh, also go to the Regeneration International website, um, and and there you'll see a more global approach to all of this. Excellent. That's very helpful. So thank you again, and uh, we'll have the Organic Consumers Association back again another time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Bye-bye now. Bye. Catherine Paul, Assistant Associate Director of Organic Consumers Association, bringing to bear 
uh, an enormous amount of information and uh, some of those details are not pretty at all like just to remind you uh, the legislation out in the Midwest to prohibit people you and me from being able to sue the companies that are doing the polluting I mean don't we have a thing called the Constitution don't we have what we call rights well yeah Unfortunately, like muscles, they're not used, they, well, atrophy. So we need to stand up and use the tools of democracy. Otherwise, they begin to wither like a tree or a plant or a vegetable that hasn't been watered. So uh, it's very important. And many of you know that I've had Sam Daly Harris on this show several times, who wrote the book called Reclaim Our Democracy, and that's sort of a, a guidebook, a how-to book of how to go about organizing on grassroots levels to contact congresspeople as a group and senators as a group, and in that way have more power than just an individual alone. There's much more power in a group. Ask any lobbyist. And... Uh, and it doesn't require money. This actually, ironically, isn't about money. It's about people being committed and focused on educating, interestingly enough, educating their congresspeople, their representatives. One of the points that Sam has made over and again is that a lot of these politicians that get into office got there on one or two basic platforms, and they don't know about the others. And it's really up to us to educate them about the things that concern us. And uh, so I'd really recommend you use that as a kind of a guidebook. Sam Daly Harris, D-A-L-E-Y-Harris. I think it's called Reclaiming Your Our, Our Democracy. So that can help you be a good advocate inside of Organic Consumers Association and the other really fine nonprofit groups that are doing good work. Well, like us, A Better World, we are one of those as well. So just to say. I uh, also want to say uh, for a little commercial break, so to speak, that I've been looking at these subjects for a long time, as you well know, and I have fortunately found an answer to the glyphosate issue, which is the chemical inside of Roundup, and Roundup is everywhere. It permeates all food sources. Well, at least 75%. I think it's closer to 95%, but it's said to be 75%, but I think they're being modest. And there's actually a probiotic that we here at A Better World make available uh, that removes glyphosate from the gut. Yeah, it's been found to be a carcinogen. They say may be a carcinogen. That's just um, that's just babble to say it's dangerous no matter what. It's dangerous, and it has led to any number of different kinds of digestive issues, leaky gut syndrome, and different degenerative disorders. So if you're interested, go to our website, A Better World. TV, and on the far right column is something called Purium, P-U-R-I-U-M, and the name of the particular product that has been proven in preclinical studies 
to remove the glyphosate from the gut, 74% of it in about six weeks, a formidable ratio. God, what would happen if you took it for 12 weeks? You see? And that's what we actually have. So there is a $50 gift certificate for you right there if you use the discount code A Better World and uh, just go to www.mypuriumgift.com. Mypuriumgift.com. And when you place an order of $75 or more, you will get. off your uh, purchase. And there they have true organic superfoods. And how do I know? Because the owner of the company is completely fastidious about knowing the nature of the soil, of the farms they use, from which they gather the vegetables and the fruits, and through a cool, dry process bring the products forward that are largely but not only powders and capsules so everything remains fresh, everything remains organic and with enzymes intact. particular product that removes the glyphosate from the gut is a probiotic called Biome B-I-O-M-E Medic M-E-D-I-C And honestly, truly everyone should be on this, no matter where you live, because we've all been smitten and contaminated, even if we eat rather healthily, by this chemical. And it's leading to serious, serious problems. If you want to know more about that, you can go to responsibletechnology.org. My colleague and friend Jeffrey Smith, who has been on the tail of Monsanto for a couple of decades at this point, educating people and governments and institutions and schools across the world about the dangers that have been foisted upon us through the chemicals from Monsanto. And as I said, they are not the singular company that are involved, that is involved in this kind of um, promulgation of chemicals in our soil and in our food. But they are certainly a leader, and we can really do something about it, both through the Organic Consumers Association, other types of associations, through standing up for what it is we want, and by cleaning yourself out using what I'm telling you about, the Purium products. So uh, anyway, on that note, I'm so glad that you have joined us here tonight on a better world. Remember that we are a nonprofit 501c3 and we so appreciate your donations to help us sustain and thrive. It really makes a difference each one. So thank you, thank you and thank you again. If you want any of our services like the Harmonic Energetic Balancing program or biofeedback or any of my counseling and coaching services Uh, please feel free to be in touch by phone at 212-420-0800, 212-420-0800, or by email, mjr at abetterworld.net. I also love hearing from you and getting your feedback on the shows and 
what types of shows you most like. It's always good for me to get, and I try to be in response to what I hear from all of you. So no matter what corner of the world you may be in, so please reach out again to mjr at abetterworld.net. And on that note, I look forward to seeing you all 